can drop your offering in if you miss the basket when it comes by. And then just so you know, if you're the most left person in the row, the basket is under your seat, okay? So the baskets are at the very leftern part of the, <laughs> most left part of the aisles, leftern hemisphere. So um, just be ready for that, okay, when we take the offering. All right. Van, here we go. Come on up. Don't you think Will ought to uh, investigate stand-up comedy? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Hey, earlier Tyler said we didn't have power last Sunday, and I want to correct that. The power was here. We just didn't have electricity. Okay, so, yeah. All right, I have a short quiz for you. If you know, if if you've heard this before, then just, you know, keep that to yourself, Okay. How do you, what, what does Y-E-S spell? Shout it out to me. Yes. What's Y-E-S spell? Yes. All right, then. What does E-Y-E-S spell? Eyes. Doggone it, you got it. <laughs> Did you guys know that before? Okay, okay. Well, okay, the joke is that it takes some people a long time to get that. It took me, I mean, I had someone else had to tell me. So, oh well, that didn't work so well. Well, I had planned this message um, a couple of weeks ago before the the events at uh, Charlottesville and all the things that have happened since. Uh, So it seems all the more pertinent right now that uh, that I give this this week. And the, the title of the message is Seeing People the Way Jesus Does. So, so how do we view people, and how can we see people the way Jesus does? Because really what we want is heaven's perspective. And when we think of, of issues in our, in our nation today that are tearing it apart, issues of race and, and all, all the things surrounding that, the real question is what is heaven's perspective, and how can I in my heart find heaven's perspective. Because I want to tell you, there are plenty of places to look to find other perspectives on this. And all you have to do is look at the news media, read the papers, go online, and you're going to find a perspective that is going to stir something in your heart, more than likely. And you're going to find a perspective that is not, not really heaven's perspective of the whole thing. Now, I'm not referring to liberal versus um, conservative views on these issues. Uh, What what I am thinking of is a a more basic agenda that the news media has. Do you know what that is? It's money. It's a business. And what sells? What sells through the news media is fear. And so if... If you're, if you're reading and reading and you're starting to find fear in your heart, then you need, to, you need to think about that. You need to check that and ask yourself, is this the right thing for me to do? Now, now we all want to be informed, and we need to be informed, and, and I do read the papers, but I know this, if all you read are the headlines, you're going to be misinformed, because the headlines are the, the most sensational, fear-based statements in the paper, and then you read the article. Sometimes I read the article, and I think, well... Why did they have that as a headline? 
But even at that, you have to read with wisdom and, 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 and really read cautiously. But what I want is I want heaven's perspective of all of this. And I want, I want the heart of Jesus to know how, how does Jesus view these things because I don't want to be a follower of the American news media. I don't want them to disciple my heart. I want Jesus to disciple my heart. And so today we're going to look at that and talk about it more. But b- before we get there, I, I do want to make this statement again as clearly as I can. I said this two weeks ago or a week ago Sunday, and that is this, that racism is wrong, all right? Racism is evil. Racism is from hell. It is part of Satan's strategy to destroy the world that God created and that he loves. And I think the worst thing about racism is not that it keeps people from experiencing the American dream and the prosperity that comes with that, but that it robs people of their identity, it robs generations of people from their rightful identity as human beings created in the image of God. And, and then further to understand what it is to come to Christ and become part of the kingdom of God, even when a, in a person who lives in a, in, a, in a minority situation where they're experiencing prejudice and they're experiencing racism directed against them, even when they come to Christ, then that's another layer. You know, we all have things we have to overcome. You know that. I mean, when we come into Christ and we come into the kingdom, but, but that can be another layer that that person has to overcome to, to realize and operate in their full potential uh, in Christ. And so I, I really believe that the worst part of the whole thing is that it robs people of their rightful identity as creations of God and, and then as the opportunity to walk in Christ and to be world-changing followers of Christ. Now, none of that is uh, insurmountable, and Jesus frees, frees us, and, and that's his grace and his goodness, and, uh, and we're so thankful for that. But uh, a couple of components of racism. One of them is, is, is this. I mean, the, the thing that we see is animosity. But, but it's animosity displayed against another people, another person or people based upon their race or their ethnic background. I'm going to broaden it out and, and include just ethnicities in this. And so racism is when something, it, it starts in the heart, a prejudice, and, and then it shows itself up in a demonstration of animosity against someone simply because of their racial or their ethnic background. Not knowing the person, not caring to know the person, just simply making assumptions and acting on those assumptions. And it's based upon the heart, it's based upon a wrong theological belief that races can be ranked as either inferior or superior. And if, if a person holds that belief, then of course they're going to look at other races and they're going to think, well, of course, my race is the superior one. That, that's, that's just part of fallen human nature. But that is a, a fallacy. The, the Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches the opposite of that. I said two weeks ago that when Adam and Eve were created by God, all of the races and all of the ethnicities in the world were contained in their DNA. 
And so God created all of the races in the world. And in fact, you see that very clearly stated in Acts 17, 26. Well, we read this. It says, from one man, Adam, and, and when you read that, it means Adam and Eve, obviously. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. Now, the word nation there doesn't mean political entity. It means people groups. So ethnicities, races. And, and so he's saying here that all of the races, all of the ethnicities in the world came from Adam. And having come from Adam, they all bear the image of God because Adam was created in the image of God. And we, you, you look on in Acts 10, verses 34 and 35, says this. Then Peter began to speak. And Peter says this. He says, well, well, let me back up here. Peter's in the home of a Gentile. And uh, Peter did not want to go to this Gentile's home. In fact, he had, he had the typical Jewish prejudice against Gentiles, thinking that he shouldn't have any contact with them, and he certainly shouldn't enter their homes. And so it took God telling Peter three times to go to this Gentile's home before he obeyed. And, and in fact, the, one of the great oddities in Scripture is God speaks to Peter and says, go to this house, and he says, no, Lord. You know, what a contradiction, Wait a second, if he's Lord, then you don't say no. But Peter, it took three times before Peter would just say, okay, if you insist, I'll do it. And so he's in this Gentile's home, and he sees the Holy Spirit come on these Gentile believers, these new believers that have just accepted Christ. And then Peter began to speak, and he said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation every ethnos, every ethnic group and race, the one who fears him and does what is right. And this doing what is right means believing in his son, Jesus Christ. And so Peter affirms that God doesn't show favoritism. And in Romans 5, or Revelation 5, 9, we really see ultimately the heart of the father in the whole thing. This is his plan. This is where it all, is all going. When we read this, he says, worthy are you, speaking to Christ, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And so God's desire is that all of the nations, all of the races, all of the ethnicities come to faith in Christ, and that, that they not only be represented at his throne on this day in worship, but his heart would be that, that everyone on this planet comes to faith in Christ. And, and so that's the Father's heart. And when I can begin to realize that, then I can begin to allow his heart to flow into my heart. And I can begin to see other people in a, a way that is consistent with the compassion and the honor that Jesus showed to people because we want to be his disciples. We want to be his followers. And he is the one that shows us how we're to live and how we're to feel. So Jesus died for all the races. It's God's desire that they all come to him. And what that means is that every person, whatever their race, whatever their ethnicity, whatever their background, whatever their social status, whether you like them or not, whether you agree with them or not, 
Every person is created in the image of God and as such is worthy of honor and worthy of being treated with respect. And that's the foundation of the whole thing right there. But this whole idea of fear is so real. Uh, it, it, um, it drives us to decisions that we don't even believe in, that we don't even want to make. And I, it's possible for a person to believe all of this, to believe, yes, God created all people in his image, all races are equal, but some people would say, but statistically, it, it's young African-American males who commit most of the crime in America. Now, I would want to say, if that's my thinking or if that's your thinking, that is a very subtle form of prejudice that's going to spoil your heart and keep your heart from being like Jesus. Because you don't gain the heart of Jesus through statistics. It's not about statistics. It's about people. It's about every individual, every person that stands before us. We look at and and we recognize, you know, this person is created in the image of God. Whatever color they are, whatever their facial features are, you know, whatever their background, they are worthy for me to get to know. It's, they're important enough that they're important enough for me to get to know. And if I have that heart attitude towards every person, you can't get to know everybody, obviously, but if I have that heart attitude towards every person, then I'm starting to move in the direction of the heart of Jesus, I'm starting to move in the direction of having heaven's perspective of other people. And that, that's what we want. And otherwise, fear takes over. And you know what fear does? Fear cancels power. Fear cancels love. And fear messes up the mind. You can't think right when you're afraid. And not, not only is that true just from observation, but the Bible says this in 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so power, love, sound mind come from God. Fear comes from the enemy. And if I live on fear, then I'm not going to have power, love, and a sound mind. And the way to overcome fear is when I really gain heaven's perspective of people. And I understand what his heart, what God's heart is for them and how he wants to work in their lives and what he wants to do. So let's ask the question, how did Jesus view people? Let's just look at that. And I want to say Jesus did treat every person he met with honor and respect. That doesn't mean he wasn't hard on some people. The Pharisees at times he was hard on, but he was honoring them and respecting them in the process because he was being direct with them. Now, every person he comes to, he meets with he meets them with honor and respect. And you read over and over and over again in the Gospels that Jesus was moved with compassion for people. He would see the multitude and have compassion on them. And he fed them. He saw them all. He had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. So Jesus' heart was a heart filled with compassion. And, and yet Jesus grew up in a culture that was very racist. He grew up in a culture that was very prejudiced. In fact, the Jews misunderstood God's intent for them. When he called them his chosen people, they thought that meant they were the best people. They thought that meant that they were a cut above every, every other people and that everyone else was below them. 
And so they had an attitude towards Gentiles that we would today most certainly call bias and, and racism towards, towards all the other people in the earth that were not part of Israel, that were not actually Jews. And they had a particular hatred for the Samaritans. And there are reasons for that. The, Samaria was a region of Israel that was right smack dab in the middle of the nation geographically. Uh, you have Judah on the south side, and then you have Galilee on the north side. And the whole thing's probably only 60 miles long. But right in the middle, you have this, this territory that is occupied by these people that are called the Samaritans. And the Samaritans, generations earlier, had intermarried with uh, uh, outside uh, other, other nations that brought pagan religion in. And that was the real issue with that. It wasn't that the Jews were so much better that you can only marry another Jew. It was the, the idea of, of uh, pagan worship. And so they brought pagan worship practices into the marriages. And this whole group of the Samaritans then set up a rival temple. They didn't go to Jerusalem to worship. They set up a rival temple in Samaria. And, uh, and there was real animosity and hatred between these two groups and acts of terror that were committed by one group against the other and back and forth. And, and so these were the folks that the Jews really hated. And, um, and yet Jesus grew up in this culture, but he didn't buy into it. He, he lived above his culture. And he did not buy into the whole idea of, of, of being prejudiced. And yet he called men that were part of the culture. And this is interesting, I think, because Peter, earlier we saw it took Peter three times for God telling him before he would even go into a Gentile's home. So he certainly was biased and prejudiced. And we see James and John at one point, they're going through Samaria and a village of the Samaritans didn't treat Jesus well. So they said, well, let's call fire down out of heaven and just consume the whole village. They wanted to burn that whole village. Jesus said to them at that point, you don't, you don't, know, you don't know what this is all about. You don't understand. And, and one of his apostles, Simon the Zealot. Now, zealots, that was like a terrorist group in Israel that plotted against and targeted Roman officials for assassination. And Jesus calls Simon the Zealot to be one of his apostles. Now, in doing that, he was not endorsing their prejudice, their bias, their, their racial viewpoints. He wasn't endorsing it. The point is, he saw them all as redeemable. He saw them all as men who could change their viewpoints, and they would. And spending the years they got to with Jesus radically impacted and changed their thinking. And then ultimately when the Holy Spirit came on them, all the little bits and pieces of things they'd seen Jesus do and they had heard all just kind of like snapped together like a puzzle coming together in their hearts and in their minds. And they experienced dramatic change in their whole world view and, and particularly view of other people. And so Jesus viewed them as able to change. And then I think that's important because some of us might view ourselves as not able to change. You know, I've talked to people in the past who have said, well, I'm from this part of the country and you don't know what it was like to grow up there or I'm from this part of the city and, and so I have this attitude towards other people from that part of the city and as if they can't change. But I want to say we can all change. 
Any one of us can change. And I want to say, Jesus, whatever, to whatever degree I hold some attitude of prejudice towards people of other races in my heart, Jesus wants that to change. He wants us to take steps of change and to absorb his heart so that we view it all from his perspective and we just have his heart towards others. That's his intent. Now, there's a story that occurred in the first year of Jesus' ministry. That first year we refer to as the year of obscurity because there are only four chapters in the Bible that talk about it, and that's John chapter, part of chapter one, chapters two, three, and four. And so there are only four or five stories from the whole first year of Jesus' ministry. One of them was his encounter with the Samaritan woman. And that's what we're going to look at today and see how Jesus interacted with her. And then I'm going to show you an insight that God gave me about this, um, about this passage. But this has to be a foundational lesson. Jesus wants his apostles to get this lesson. And so here's what we read in John 4, verses 3 through 6. Before the ellipsis, it says that he had to leave Jerusalem and go back to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria. Now, uh, I should have included that part in the verse because he didn't really have to go through Samaria. And the point would be that most of the Jews headed to Galilee would have gone down to the Jordan River and avoided Samaria altogether. It was longer, but probably an easier hike because you'd be walking up along the riverbed, which would be smoother terrain than going up and down the mountains through central Israel. But he had to go through Israel, and I believe he had to go through Israel because it was God's plan for him to meet this woman. It was God's intent for him to have an encounter with her. And so we read this, then it says, they, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. So interestingly, Jesus, God's son, nevertheless gets tired. Um, he's exhausted. He's had a stressful time in Jerusalem. And, um, and, and now full deity, but fully human, therefore bone weary, he slumps down beside this well, probably somewhat dehydrated, and he sends his uh, disciples into the village to get food. So as, as he's slumped against this well in exhaustion, which I think is really interesting, because when I'm exhausted, I don't want to talk to other people. When I'm exhausted, I, I just want to, you know, don't make eye contact and you don't have to engage, you know. <laughs> but here Jesus is exhausted and, and he enters into this interaction with, with this Samaritan woman. So it says in verses 7 through 9, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Wow. Big deal, folks. Big deal that, that he asks her for a drink. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, not only is she a Samaritan woman, but she was going to give him her drinking container, which she probably has drunk out of herself, which would just drive Jewish leaders and, and religious religious leaders crazy because they specifically said a Jewish man should never even speak to a Samaritan woman. And they had this position in their thinking that Samaritan women were defiled from birth. 
So from birth, they're spoiled. Jewish men don't talk to them. Most certainly don't drink out of the same container they're drinking out of, and yet that's what he's asking her for. And she's, she's blown away. She's surprised. What is this? Why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan woman. Jews don't like Samaritans. I know that. I've had plenty of encounters. And yet here you are, a Jewish man, talking to me, and not only talking to me, asking me for a drink of water. What's up with that? She's just, she's dumbfounded. And when his apostles return, they are dumbfounded as well. And it says actually that they were amazed. And the word amazed means that they were just blown away by this. They, they didn't have a grid for it. Uh, they're, they're uh, again, just their minds are being blown. But it has this slight sense. By this time, the, the word had, had acquired this slight sense of admiration. And so I wondered about that. And I thought, you know, he, they just came from Jerusalem where Jesus cleared the temple. And they had all the money changers and everything in there. Jesus goes in, he just knocks all the tables over and drives out the money changers. And he says, my father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. So right there, they saw him breaking with the norms. They saw him challenging the system. And so now they're seeing him challenge the system again. And on the one hand, they're dumbfounded. On the other hand, it's kind of like, who is this guy? Man, here he goes again. And, and, and so they come back and they're amazed. But Jesus in his interaction with this woman, I mean, it's really interesting that she's there at this time of day because it's the height, it's the height of the heat in the day or close to it. And most of the women would come down as a group earlier in the day, and she's not there with the other women. And as you read the story, you're going to you know, probably understand why. But uh, so, so she's an outcast. I think we can read into that. She's an outcast in this village. And even later, once she believes in Jesus and she goes back to the village, it says she went back and told the men of the village. So the men, you know, had, she had relationship with, but the women did not like her. And so he's talking to this woman, not only who is a Samaritan and a woman, but also a, a woman who's an outcast in her own home, her, her own hometown. And so what we read next is um, Jesus replies, and he says, if you knew the gift of God, the gift God has for you, and who you're speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. All right, if you knew the gift God has for you, I think in that statement, he's saying, if you really knew you're created in the image of God, if you really knew the Father loves you, if you knew his heart for you, 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 wouldn't, you wouldn't care that I'm a Jewish man at all. And if you knew who I was, and Jesus is re- revealing himself here, in fact, in this interaction, it's the first time Jesus revealed himself as Messiah, and that was to a Samaritan woman. And so he, he draws the subject back to, uh, to, to his mission and to who he is and really to who she is. So she responds this way. Um, Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. So now Jesus turns things a little and he says, okay, go get your husband, Jesus told her. She says, I don't have a husband. I, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. So 
Jesus speaks this truth to her, not in a condemning way, not in a judgmental way, but in a way that is going to free her. And it's going to free her to be the person God created her to be and intended for her to be. But, but this woman had been married five times. She's lived with at least one man out of wedlock. And I'm guessing maybe she's 35, maybe 40, probably got married at 15. So we've got 20, 25 years time here, maybe 30 at the most, and she's had five marriages fail. And, and now she's living, living with a man that she's not even married to. She's given up on marriage. She's hopeless. She's given up on the hope of ever having a real lifelong relationship where she will be able to love and be loved. And yet Jesus, uh, just he, he, he treats her with this utmost respect. Now, she sees he's a prophet, and the rest of the story is that uh, she believes in Jesus. And then she runs back to the village and tells them all that she's met the Messiah and the whole village comes out and Jesus spends two days there teaching them and preaching to them and, and there's this mass conversion that takes place. But there's something I want you to see and we have to go back to the beginning. I want to ask this, how did Jesus view this woman differently than all of the other Jewish men would have viewed her? How did that happen? What, what was it? And at the very beginning... In chapter 4, at the very beginning of this story, in verse 5, it says, Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, I read that a few weeks ago, a month ago, and I was just pondering it and asking God, why is that there? What's the meaning of that? What's the significance of that? Why did you put that there? Is it just to give a historical note to people that are familiar with it, or... Was there some other purpose and meaning in it? And here's what came to me. Jacob had ultimately 12 sons. At the time of this short story that I'm telling you uh, about Jacob and Joseph, he had 11, and Joseph was his 11th son and his favorite. And Joseph was kidnapped. He was stolen from his father. And he was sold into slavery. And his father mourned for him. And his father Jacob said that he would mourn for Joseph for the rest of his life. But years later, in God's providence and plan, Jacob and Joseph were reunited, and with, with obviously with great joy and tears and, and happiness. And Jacob was so, I mean, he thought all those years that, that uh, Joseph was dead. That's what he had been told, that Joseph was dead. And yet he had been kidnapped and sold into slavery. And now he's back with his father at the end of his life with just this incredible joy. And I read that, I thought about that, and I thought, that's how Jesus viewed this woman. He didn't look at her as a Samaritan. He didn't look at her as a woman who had had five failed marriages and didn't know how to have a good relationship with a man and she just ought to shape up somehow. He, he didn't look at her as someone who was a failure in life and a loser and, and wasn't deserving of his time. He didn't look at her that way. He looked at her as a daughter who had been stolen from her father And her father wanted her back. And he was there to reunite her with her father. 
No wonder he treated her with honor. No wonder he treated her with respect. And if you and I can allow his heart to bleed into ours, so that every person I see, whether they're whether their skin is my shade or darker than that. I mean, I'm certainly not white, and most of the African-American people I know are not black, but we use those terms. But, but um, if, if, you know, whatever skin color, whatever background, if we can look at people, we can say, wow, that's a young man that was stolen at birth from his father. And he's lived, this woman, she lived in a broken world. She lived only according to the world because she didn't know any better. And we look at them and we, we realize that. And God's put me here to do what I can do to, to bring them back to their father, their heavenly father. And when you and I can begin to do that, then prejudice and, and racism is going to begin to fade away. It's going gonna, it's gonna to begin to to become something that is in our lives. And this is what we can do. It's in our lives. I, I can't change the whole nation, although we, we're, we, we're praying for that. We're praying for revival for the whole nation, that people will come to know Jesus and come to understand this so their hearts can be changed. And while we want better laws, we do. We know it's the hearts that have to change. But it, it enables us, whatever the skin color, to treat people, whatever the facial features of the culture, to treat people with honor and respect and compassion because we see them as created in God's image and we see them for who they really are. It's a person stolen from their father and their heavenly father wants, wants them back. So if I follow Jesus and I see every person as created in the image of God, and I see every person that I encounter as a child stolen from their father, and they're either on the way back, and I'm here to help them come back to him, or they've already met him, and I'm here to help them know him better. If I can view them that way, then my heart's going to flow with compassion, and my heart is going to, uh, racism's not going to be an issue any longer. Now, there's so much today about, and I want to apply this to a real practical aspect of what's happening in our culture. So much today, so much pain and heartache about shootings of, of young African-American men by police officers. And, and we look at that and, and say, well, how should we view that? What's a kingdom viewpoint of that? And one person might say, well, we need to investigate. Is the shooting justified? Was it right? Did the police, was the policeman, um, uh, you know, doing the wrong thing or a racist or whatever? And, and I want to say that's not the right question. Right question is who was that young man? Who was he? Because he was someone who was stolen at birth from his father who, who and his father wanted him back and now it might be too late. But his father wanted him back. That, that's the right question. The right question is, uh, where's his mother? Can I love his? Can I can I show compassion to his mother? She lost her son. Can I show compassion to her? Can can I love on her for a while because she lost her son? And 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 so the, the right the right answer is what's the heart of Jesus? What's the heart of Jesus for this family that's suffering? I mean, whatever the, whatever the situation was, what's the heart of Jesus for a family that's suffering this type of horrific loss? 
And, and how can I walk in compassion with them? Heaven's view. I mean, the police officer. You know, I, I think I, I let the courts decide what, what's, what happened or didn't happen. And you and I can get so wrapped up in reading about that in the newspaper and forming opinions. And we don't have any, any way really to know just by reading what we read, but let the courts decide that. And if you don't trust the courts, then we just trust God, okay? But the compassion has to extend to that side of this also. And it has to extend to a police officer's life that is wrecked now and that will never be the same and a family there that will be in turmoil and brokenness. And so the heart of Jesus is going to look at this and, and it's not going to try to weigh you know, one against the other and justified, not justified. The heart of Jesus is going to look and say, these people need help. These people need God on both sides of this issue. And, and, um, and, and by, I, mean, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be a dad and try to explain to my son why someone who looks just like him was just shot at a traffic stop, whereas if that person had looked like my neighbor's son, it probably wouldn't have happened. And, you know, I I don't know the pain. I can't understand the pain of that. But we need to be able to enter into things like that and, and to understand with compassion how God looks at others. So I want to say the solution's personal and it's one on one. It's honor, it's compassion, it's humility, it's respect. It's not denying differences in skin color. It's not like, like to say to somebody, well, I don't view you as having dark skin or black skin or being African American. Well, I mean, that's insulting. Why not? What's wrong with being that? There's nothing wrong with being that. It's not like I have to say, well, no, I'm going to elevate you to my level. I look at you as a white person or a Caucasian. I mean, it's really, it's just about saying that when we say things like that to people. So we shouldn't. I mean, there are differences, but they're to be celebrated. You know, the difference between a rose and a tulip, you don't look at them and say, well, I don't see any difference in these two flowers. No, you say, well, they're both beautiful flowers. (laughs) Okay, God created all these races. They're all beautiful. They're all children taken from their father at birth that need to be returned. And and we get to be part of that. And the way we enter into that is with compassion, the heart of Jesus. And and when we we walk in that heart of compassion, like Jesus, then we're going to make a difference. And uh, we're going to have an impact on our city. And we're going to have an impact a lot broader than that. So we're going to worship now. I think Will's going to come up. We're going to receive the offering. And then, no, I do the offering. That's right. Okay. Okay. at the leftern side of the row. <laughs> All right, so ushers, come on down. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go into worship. Team's going to come out. We're going to go into worship. So, Father God, we lift our hearts to you. We, we want to be like you, Jesus. We're not going to live in fear of what's happening in the world around us because we're kingdom people and we carry, we carry the kingdom in us. We carry the compassion of Jesus in us. So 
Show us all this week opportunities to show that compassion. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah.